there's a new mandatory report card coming for marine vessel emissions. How can ships comply? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Twenty twenty three will see the imposition of a strict new system for rating carbon emissions by ships of over five thousand gross tons. Developed by the International Maritime Organization, it's called the Carbon Intensity Indicator, and the word intensity is apt. Vessels will be graded on a scale from A to E, indicating respectively major superior, minor superior, moderate, minor, and inferior performance in curbing carbon emissions. Ships with a grade of D or below could be subject to being banned from international commerce, or at the very least, be shunned by shippers who are struggling to reduce their own carbon footprints. On this episode, we speak with Dylan Kyle, co-founder and CEO of Bearing.ai, about the impact of the carbon intensity indicator, how these massive vessels can predict their performance, what they can do to improve their grade, and how they can calculate the financial trade-offs. If you thought that artificial intelligence was somewhere in the mix, you're right. Here's my conversation with Dylan Kyle. Dylan Kyle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And thank you for being with me. Dylan, what is the Carbon Intensity Indicator? So the Carbon Intensity Indicator is a new regulation that's coming out January 1st, 2023. This is coming from the IMO, and this is impacting every single large commercial ship out there in the global fleet. And what it's doing is it's giving each of these ships a score, A through E. A meaning that you're carbon efficient. E means that you're not carbon efficient. And based upon that score, there's going to be an impact to that vessel and potentially from a commercial point of view, from a regulatory point of view, and it's something that shipping companies are really trying their best to make sure that they get a rating of the C or higher. The IMO, the International Maritime Organization, has the power to ban certain ships from service in, in global trade, do they? I mean, what is their power to enforce this rule? So in the first year that it's coming out, basically what they're saying is that if your vessel is a D or if it's an E three consecutive years, then we need to have is a ship energy efficiency management plan, which essentially is an action plan that says how you're going to get your vessel from a D or an E to a C or a higher rating. And if they fail to comply with that rating, the consequences of that are still somewhat to be determined. Now, part of that might depend mm-hmm. upon the jurisdiction. So we might see that, for example, in the EU, they might not, not allow certain vessels that are non-compliant to go to certain ports. But part of that will also be in the marketplace. And so what we're already seeing is that Certain cargo owners and certain folks in the marketplace are saying, we want to work with vessels that have good ratings, A, B, and C. And if a vessel has a D or an E rating, we may not have our cargo go with them. And so as a result, vessels that have poor ratings will end up getting lower prices, and there's a strong economic incentive to have a positive rating. Well, clearly we are talking just about the maritime industry. Is there any precedent or an original type of rule, either in the maritime industry or any other aspect of transportation, that is being used as the basis for developing this new one. There are different regulations around kind of carbon intensity that are happening more and more when it comes to transportation and supply chain more broadly. 
But the maritime industry has really kind of ramped up their enforcement when it comes to carbon emissions in recent years. So in 2020, they had a big regulation that was capping sulfur emissions in the global fleet. So this was looking at kind of the sulfur emissions and saying we want it to be below a certain level. And in doing so, they shifted very quickly the type of fuel oil that all of these maritime vessels were using essentially overnight. So in a couple months time frame, all these vessels went from using essentially very dirty, high sulfur fuel oil to low sulfur fuel oil. And, and that's just an example of when these regulations do come down, the companies do respond. And there is a pretty significant shift in the marketplace. So this is kind of a, a bigger version of that. And we've also seen this happen some other regulations in the maritime space in, in the last year or so. I remember when that rule on low sulfur fuel came out, ship owners and the like were wringing their hands saying, we can't possibly meet that requirement within the time. There just isn't enough of supply of it in the world. It sounds to me like it turned out not to be that big a problem. Yeah, and here we are. It worked out okay. And, and I think we're seeing some of that today where you have some companies that are saying, A, it's going to be difficult for us to have all our vessels that are a C or higher, or, or B, we're not really sure exactly when or how we're going to respond to it. And in my sense, at least talking to some of our partners and our customers, is that we do think that the industry is going to respond. We do think that at least the leaders in the industry are going to respond fairly quickly. A lot of them are going to make changes in 2023. And then moving mm -hmm. forward in future years, we're going to see kind of broad participation from the whole industry when it comes to this regulation. Are ship owners going to be self-reporting or there's going to be, or there are going to be independent rating agencies or measuring agencies that do this? Who's going to be doing the actual measure? So they will be reporting, and this is part of a, there's already a kind of a data collection system that they're already agreeing to called the IMO DCS. And so they'll be making the same kind of recordings they do today. But then on top of that, there'll be kind of verification to say that the recordings or the recordings themselves are valid. And so class societies, for example, folks like Class NK, they will verify the quality of that recording. And, and that will kind of be going to the regulator. But it sounds like they have some pretty strict criteria. There's no fuzziness about what it is you're measuring, how you're measuring it, what the measurement means, anything like that. Everybody's on board, so to speak, with that. There definitely are some debates in terms of, is this the right way to measure carbon intensity, one? And then, is this a fair application across all the different types of vessels in the industry? And so, I'll give a couple examples of that. And, and so, first of all, in terms of, is this the right measure? The way that the CII is calculated using something called the annual efficiency ratio. And essentially, what it's looking at is, what are the carbon emissions for the vessel? What is the, the dead weight? So, essentially, how much in theory, could this vessel carry? And then what's the mileage the vessel actually travels? Now, the thing this doesn't do is this doesn't look at how much cargo the vessel actually carries. And, and so some industry folks have said that that's not a great measure because ultimately what you're doing in this case is you're not really measuring how much cargo is being carried for a unit of carbon dioxide. And, and so they would actually prefer to use a different measure, for example, something called PEOI, which is the Energy Efficiency Operational Indicator, which actually looks at the cargo that's carried. So some folks in the mm -hmm. industry are saying the measure itself is not great, and they're kind of trying to argue that. And there's that second point, which is within the shipping industry, maritime shipping industry, there are many different types of ships, and those ships have different profiles in terms of how they use fuel and what their carbon intensity is. So, for example, some of the ships that use fuel to heat their cargo or to refrigerate their cargo, for example, are arguing that the fuel used for that should not go into accounting for their overall emissions. And so as a result, the IMO is adding a number of correction factors. And these correction factors, for example, will not count emissions that are associated with 
electrical consumption of refrigerated containers. And so they have a number of these carve-outs that are already in there, but there are many other carve-outs that I know some of the folks in the shipping industry would like to have and feel would be more representative of the actual carbon intensity profile. So there's still some math to be evolved, but it's right now there are pretty explicit rules in terms of how it's calculated. So if a ship comes into port, shuts down its own engines and relies on land power, it plugs into uh, land power, you know, electric power, so-called cold ironing, I understand that's what, what that's called. Is that still figured into the carbon intensity calculation? In, in this case, that would not be. And to my understanding, that would not be. You're saying that there is some disagreement about the use of this standard, but it's going forward anyway? That's correct. Yeah. So it's, it's coming out, and then there will be an opportunity for revision. So there will be an opportunity for essentially the regulators to meet again based upon feedback from the industry and then see whether or not there's any additional changes or carve-outs they need to make to reflect kind of the reality once this regulation comes out. I mean, I think the truth is this is, a, this is a pretty big shift. If everyone does comply with this in the way that uh, they might, this would represent a pretty significant shift in terms of the way that shipping companies operate in the sense that historically what you thought about is your fuel costs and the market rate. And now there's this third element, which is how much are you emitting and how does that actually change over the course of a given year? I was saying, so as a result of that, we may expect some pretty big shifts, but it is something that we don't exactly know how that's going to really play out. And so my sense is that we're going to see these shifts during the course of 2023. Regulators are going to be paying very close attention to this. The market's going to be paying close attention to it. And then based upon what happens, we might see some modifications in future years as they go back and revise it. In the meantime, how can a ship actually improve its score? What, what are the steps it can take? Because you've got these multi-million dollar, gigantic mega container ships that are out there on the water these days, and I don't know how flexible they are in changing the way that they actually emit emissions. What can they do? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. And that's honestly what a lot of what we focus on is what are the things that you can do to improve that score, one, and then what are the costs of taking those actions? Kind of what are the, the financial trade-offs and, and so on? from taking a countermeasure to improve that score. The number one thing you can do, which is probably the easiest thing you can do, is just reduce the speed of the vessel. The slower you go, the better your CII score is in general. And a lot of companies we've talked to and partners we've talked to, that's kind of the strategy they're planning for 2023, is they're going to slow their fleet down by 5%, 10%, because they know that by doing so, they're going to be essentially more efficient, more fuel efficient, which means they're going to be more carbon efficient. So that's kind of the, the first and foremost strategy. But there are other levers you can take, too. So a second one would be if you have vessels that could install energy-saving devices. So let's say you want to install something like a rotor sail or another energy-saving device that actually makes your vessel more efficient. That's certainly one way that you could potentially improve the score. But that's expensive. Mm -hmm. That takes time. That requires an upfront investment. A third thing you could look at is potentially a different fuel type. So there are fuels that are more carbon efficient than other fuels. Usually that means they're more expensive, um, but you may make a decision that it's worth that investment because you want to get a better rating in terms of your CII score. Another thing you might do is just clean the vessel. Biofouling is a big source of consumption. And if you do a dry dock or an underwater cleaning, that potentially could improve the efficiency of the vessel and get you to a better score. So there are a number of levers there, but speed is the one that I think most companies are looking at most seriously right now. Obviously, the easiest thing to do with the existing ship, but yeah. everything that you mentioned is going to cost money one way or another. I mean, I guess that's just the reality, right? It's going to cost extra. Absolutely. And that's kind of the trade-off they're trying to make is that they know what the costs are. So they know what the costs are of taking these countermeasures. And most companies understand that if we 
slow down, we can get a better score. They don't necessarily know at this point what the costs are of having a D versus a C. They don't necessarily know how much is the market going to penalize me if I have a D mm. rating versus a C rating or how much are they going to reward me if I have a B rating versus a C rating. And, and so that's why some right. companies are a little bit of a wait and see mode to kind of wait for this market to materialize and then figure out which of these actions makes the most sense given the overall equation. You certainly would think that if they got a B, they would not be particularly incentivized to, to work for an A. I mean, if a B was considered to be perfectly acceptable, why would they? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, C and above is considered compliance, but you might find, for example, some cargo owner out there has their own environmental sustainability goals that they set up, and they, in particular, only want to work with vessels that have a very high environmental rating. And so if we do see some sort of market premium, we've also seen scenarios where we've talked to some financial institutions that have talked about things like different financing rates for vessels that have higher ratings and so on. So we might see other market mechanisms that reward not just being compliant, but being a kind of a top performer within your category. Right. As cargo owners and manufacturers are themselves under pressure to measure and publish their own carbon footprints, this is part of that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is, again, one small piece of this broader picture that the shipping industry is trying to kind of reckon with. In the EU, we may see this kind of emissions trading scheme where there essentially is a carbon tax on the carbon that's emitted. There are new regulations that are going into the, kind of the, how the vessels are essentially built themselves. So there's a number of different approaches they're taking to try to tackle emissions. And I think this is coming not just at the owners, not just at the cargo owners, but really all aspects that touch the shipping industry. Now, one of the challenges here is how can a ship owner kind of predict or know in advance what the results are going to be based on its operation? And I understand that you guys are bringing to bear artificial intelligence as a means of doing that through a simulation environment. Tell me about how that will work or how is it working? Absolutely. So, uh, so my company, which I'm the CEO and co-founder of, is, is Bearing. And what we do is we essentially take artificial intelligence, we take kind of latest and greatest from Silicon Valley, bring it into the maritime shipping industry, and help these large maritime shipping companies make more data-driven decisions. The whole goal being that we allow them to see these trade-offs in a very objective way and therefore make the decisions that that's best for them. And so in the case of CII, the challenge here is trying to figure out what is the best countermeasure to take to essentially improve my score? And if I am going to take that countermeasure, how do I really fully understand the associated costs and benefits tied to that? And so what we do is we, we do three things. We have this tool called the CII Optimizer. And first of all, it just tracks your current score. Because it's really hard to, to manage and improve something if you don't know what the current score is. And plenty of companies out there aren't doing that already. And so we have this very seamless process where we essentially pull in information from your vessels automatically. And we show for each vessel in your fleet what that current CII rating is. Um, and so that way you at least know where you stack up in terms of what percentage are A's, B's, C's, D's, and E's. But the second part, which is more important, is we actually forecast what that rating will be at the end of the year. Because the way this regulation works, it's actually a cumulative score. And so the score that matters is the score you have on December 31st. That's kind of what you get judged by. So if you're really bad in the beginning of the year, but you're good at the end of the year, you might average out and be okay. You go back to zero on January 1, you start over? Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's really that, it's that calendar year cumulative score, that, that's what matters. The challenge is, mm -hmm. let's say you're in March and you're currently a D, and you're trying to figure out where am I going to end up at the end of the year. Now, things change during the course of the year. The vessel's trade patterns change, so how the vessel actually travels, how many days it spends in port, how many days it spends sailing, et cetera, the average speed it goes. 
All of that changes during the course of the year. On top of that, weather obviously changes. The weather in the northern Pacific is different in the winter than it is in the summertime. And so you can't really just draw a straight line and assume that if you're a D today, you'll be a D at the end of the year. So what we use is we use artificial intelligence to analyze the traffic patterns of that vessel, to understand how that vessel was traded in the past, how that's changed based upon the season, and also how we think it's going to change moving forward. And from that, we come up with essentially a heat map of here's how we think that vessel might behave throughout the remainder of the year, essentially kind of a weighted probability of all the different kind of routes and speeds that vessel might take that gives you a likely sense of where we think this vessel will be traveling and how it will be traveling. And on top of that, we overlay what we believe the seasonal weather patterns will be that that vessel will encounter based upon those traffic routes. So we have a sense of how the vessel might be traveling. We have a sense of the weather the vessel might encounter. And we feed both of those into this deep learning vessel performance model that essentially says for this particular vessel, given the speed, given this route, given this weather, given this loading condition, here's what we think the fuel consumption would be, and here's what we think the emissions will be. And the end result of that is that we actually have this accurate sense of where the vessel is going to be at the end of the year. Of course, there's some range of uncertainty because we can't predict the weather perfectly. You can't predict the, the yeah, track perfectly. Sure. But it's a strong sense in terms of within these 95% confidence bounds, here's where the vessel is going to end up. And so then you as a company have a sense of, okay, I'm a D today, but the odds are if I continue behaving the way that I am right now, I'm going to end up as a C. And then the third thing we do, which is the most important, is we give you the capability to simulate that. So that the capability to really play around with those different levers that you can control and see the trade-offs. And so, for example, in our tool, you can adjust the speed. Let's say you go from 16.2 knots down to 15.8 knots. Question is, how much does that actually improve your score? And then how much does that save you in fuel costs? How much does that cost you in terms of mileage and so on? And so in our tool, you'll go and you'll actually move a slider real time, moving it from 16.2 to 15.8. We'll rerun all the simulations using our models, and we'll show you based upon that what happens to your score. And then in addition to that, we'll show you what the fuel cost impact is, what the mileage impact is, what the emissions impact is, and so on. So you're fully informed in terms of making that decision. And then in addition to speed, we also give you other levers you can work with. So things like the number of days sailing you spend per month, whether or not you conduct an underwater cleaning, the type of fuel you use, if you're a dual fuel vessel with a ratio of fuels, and all of these levers interact with one another. There's they're kind of complicated mix that, that play in a very non-intuitive way sometimes. And so it's something that in theory you could try to do in an Excel spreadsheet, but it would A, first of all, not be very accurate, and B, be really, really complicated. And so the benefit of this tool is it makes it really simple. So you can kind of understand which of these decisions makes the most sense for your company at this moment in time. I can't imagine that a human being could come close to making such complex calculations with all of the factors that have to come into this. It's really complicated. I mean, shipping in general is complicated. There are a lot of factors that are not in your control. There are fluctuating fuel prices. There's unpredictable weather. There's traffic patterns that are hard to predict. And it's something that, yeah, like you said, the human brain is can barely wrap its head around the way shipping is today, let alone how it's going to be more complicated in the future with these new regulations. And what we're trying to do essentially is we're going to give you this superpower by harnessing artificial intelligence that's going to allow you to run through thousands and thousands and thousands of simulations essentially instantly and then have the results at your fingertips so you can make a better decision in that moment. But boy, a 95% confidence interval? I mean, just look at what happened in the last couple of years that was not predicted by anybody. That would throw a model totally out of whack. And yet you're still confident that you can get that close 
based on the expectation that something's going to happen that we're not getting ready for in the maritime trades, still yeah. it's that high. Yeah, so there's one way to think about this, too, is this is kind of a, because it's an artificial intelligence system, it's like a, a living, breathing organism where data is continuously coming in, and as that data comes in, the model continuously improves and continuously reruns and updates that forecast. And so if something mm -hmm. happens, let's say we have another massive supply chain shock or we have another new pandemic arises and things shift again. As that shift starts occurring, our model will essentially sense that shift. It will detect that something's going on, that the vessel is behaving differently, the traffic patterns in the global fleet are shifting and so on. And as a result, it will update the forecast. So it's totally possible that something could happen that could kind of break the prediction on January 1st. But because this is a live system where new data is coming in, by the time we get to February or March, our forecast might be different because we've ingested that new information and we're able to be kind of more spot on in terms of where we're predicting. And so, for instance, if we have another incident of severe port congestion, which is now be being alleviated, but over the last year and a half or so has been terrible, if that shows up, I would imagine that your carbon intensity would skyrocket because you're on the water longer, you're out there, you're not unloading, and you know, you're just, it's just taking longer, and your numbers are going to go up. That's something that you could quickly replan and readjust and, and come up with new numbers for. Absolutely, yeah. One, one of the worst things for your CII rating is basically sitting there stationary because you're not getting any mileage and you're still getting carbon. So you definitely don't want to spend yeah. more time doing that. I mean, one it's of the things that's interesting that, that we've kind of thought a lot about is it's hard to predict exactly what the compliance rate for this will be within the first year. My strong prediction assumption is that over the course of the next few years, this will happen. Like the writing is on the wall that companies will eventually comply with this. And there's going to be enough incentives and enough disincentives for not compliance that the companies will come around. Exactly how many we'll do in 2023 versus 2024, we're not sure. But a big part of that will be speed reduction. And when you reduce speed of vessels, you're essentially reducing supply. This is not a, an incredibly fluid uh, resource where you can just build a bunch of ships really, really quickly to fill in that supply. And so we're already in these scenarios where we've had these bottlenecks and we've had difficulties essentially meeting some of the demand for, for certain segments and certain types of shipping. And if we get to a scenario where the global fleet, let's say, has to slow down 10% to meet these environmental regulations, we might see some of those very same issues that we see today where there's a mismatch between demand and supply, even further kind of greatened um, and even stronger because we're in a scenario where we're unable to essentially add a whole bunch more ships, and at the same time, the ships we have are reducing the speed that they have. And so effectively, supply is being reduced even more. So it's hard to predict how that will play out with potentially a global recession, other factors at play, but it's something that definitely could have a significant impact on the overall supply chain. It's going to be interesting. Dylan Kyle of Bering, thank you so much for telling us what's going on with the carbon intensity indicator and some possible solutions for ship owners to meet these incredibly strict standards and what it's all going to mean to the trade and shippers as well. Thank you very much for spending time with me. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure talking to you. And yeah, thank you again. That was my conversation with Dylan Kyle of Bering, talking about a new report card on maritime carbon emissions. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. 
and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.